If you have your scriptures with you today, open them to Isaiah chapter 55. It's also printed in your bulletin. And uh, we're going to read this uh, entire chapter, 55. And uh, it's one of my favorite passages in the book of Isaiah. You've got to love Isaiah, but this is uh, one of the better uh, places that uh, where God is calling His people uh, to worship. And so now hear uh, the Word of God. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast and sure love to David. Behold, I will make him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that which goes out from my mouth. It shall, re- not, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. I was reading an article uh, this week uh, in uh, a major publication in the United States. It's well known. It's not a Christian magazine. I try uh, to to make sure that I read things that are outside of the echo chamber that has become subculture Christianity. And so I make an attempt to uh, read and and listen to things that are being written outside that uh, aren't necessarily from our our group of people. And an author, her name's Ann Brenoff, she wrote this amazing article, uh, and I want to read just a little part. Listen carefully to this. This is insight from someone who is uh, not necessarily, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but 
certainly not not coming at a, at at the at the world with our world view okay listen to what she says if integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is watching if integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is watching i'd like to have a word with the people who thought it would be hilarious to knock over pedestal rock in camp kawanda a beloved sandstone formation. They were caught on video doing the dastardly deed which will hopefully lead to their arrest. Now you can go on YouTube and you can see this and uh, uh, it is pretty remarkable, this beautiful sandstone formation on the coast uh, and four uh, drunken uh, young men thought it would be clever or funny to go and take this beautiful thing that people actually go there to see and get around it and rock it out of the ground and throw it to the ground. They were caught on video. And then she goes on in the article to describe a string of these kinds of vandalisms uh, of, of sometimes priceless art. It makes us think of ISIS when they... Uh, began their conquest and they went into these museums and, and destroyed works of art from three and 3,500 years ago, irreplaceable, uh, into churches. Now, that touches us personally, so we don't like that. They destroyed a church, but uh, they destroyed churches that went back to, you know, the second and third century of Christianity and defamed uh, the art. And she goes on, listen to this. This is where the insight becomes so remarkable. Who are these people who do these things? How can anyone, listen, how can anyone be filled with this much self-absorption, self-entitlement, have so little respect and so much inconsideration to destroy beautiful things that belong to all of us? This isn't rape, and this isn't murder, but this is something that is hideous in its own right. It is wanton destruction for the sake of destruction. Here it is. It is self-pleasure. The self-pleasure of one at the expense of of many. Each Sunday, every Sunday, without fail, we begin our service with a call to worship. The Bible is filled with calls to worship. And it grieves me that people don't show up for the call to worship. That you don't make sure. Now, you all are here and that's good. If anyone comes in, let's all turn around and look at them. No, but you get the idea. The call to worship is a product that is found in every liturgy of every Christian tradition. From Roman Catholicism to Eastern Orthodoxy to almost every form of Protestantism. Where the service begins with God calling His people to worship. Come into My presence and worship. And it's a very important part of our liturgy. Why? A call to worship 
gets us outside of ourselves and it reorients us to another who is transcendent to us. It is a call, listen to me, it's a call to enter into a relationship where the secrets of your heart can be revealed. Where these acts of vandalism that Anne Brenoff's talking about are often not seen, they're just complete self-absorption and self uh, uh, pleasure for their, its own sake for the person itself, and they think nobody sees, nobody's watching. The call to worship is from someone who says, I do see. I see everything. Come into my presence. Reorient your heart. Enter into a relationship where the deepest and most secret things in your heart can be revealed. And they're welcome. It's not like God wants you to check your your business at the back and come in and put on your mask for, for Sunday service. He wants you to come in as you are. Because worship will transform you. Worship reveals, listen, the deepest needs of our heart. It requires a response from you and I. And it reorients us to another. And that's our outline for today. It reveals the secrets of our heart. Our deepest needs. Worship requires us to respond to God. It's not just a call to come in and be a spectator, kind of watch what's going on and kind of think about, well, isn't that nice what's going on up there? It's a call to enter in and take action. And it also, when it's done from the heart, worship will indeed reorient you. In our journey groups, when we teach our journey discipleship groups, one of the things we begin with, I think it's week two of the journey, during the boot camp phase of journey, and those of you in journey know what I'm talking about, we go through a complete process of what we call personal worship, what, what is commonly known as devotions. I don't like that word, and I like what Randy calls it. He calls it personal worship. And every Christian should have that moment, those few moments of every day. Now look, it doesn't have to be burdensome. It doesn't have to be an hour long. If it is, great, good. Could be 10 minutes. I got, I'll confess, some days it's 10 minutes for me. Some days it's an hour. Some days it's longer. But if you don't have that moment personally, privately, when God calls you into His presence and you spend some time with Him, then Sunday worship is going to be way less than it should be. Sunday worship is when He's calling all of us together to do this very thing and to accomplish what He wants us to do. Look at the first part. He, it reveals our deepest need. He talks about hunger, thirst, dissatisfaction, verses 1 through 3. He interjects in Hebrew, it's this word, hoye, hoye, like the old heralds in the medieval times. Hear ye, hear ye. We translate it in the, the, uh, uh, the ESV, I think it says, come. And uh, the NIV or the, uh, some of the other translations I looked at, it says, ho. Everyone who thirsts. It's an interjection. It's an interruption. Where God is hollering, if you will, to get your attention. Hear me. 
Listen. Pay attention to everyone who is thirsty. Now, I don't know... I don't know anyone, I have not yet met anyone who is not thirsty. And I'm not talking about physical thirst, I'm talking about our hearts. Everyone in this room, I don't care what age you are, you can be young, young you're the young kids, all the way up to us old people. Our hearts are longing, they are thirsty for something. It's an interjection to people, of all kinds of people. Everyone who thirsts. And then he said, come and buy. Come and be satisfied. Get water, get wine, get milk. And then he escalates to the richest affair. One commentator says, ashes, the ashes of false religion are replaced by the richest affair. The prophet with the insight of Holy Spirit, with the, of, of the mag- majesty of the Holy Spirit, is saying to humanity, what you've been eating and drinking, what you've been looking to to satisfy your souls, is like eating ashes. And you know it. You know it. Quit. Stop eating ashes, and come and taste and see the richest affair. It's, it's really, it's, it's beautiful. Without price, he said, the, the food, the wine, the milk that I'm offering you, it's without price. Come and buy. There's no money you can bring. There's no money you can pay for this. There's nothing you can bring. You come get it for free because it's by grace that God gives us to us. It has no price. And then he says, it has no peer. There's nothing that you can compare it to. Look what he says. Uh, he says, it, why? He asks the question. It's, it's a rhetorical question. Why? Why are you spending money on false bread? Why are you, why are you putting out all this effort for something you know isn't going to satisfy you? And how many of us, I mean... How many of you have bought it? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have bought a new car? Two weeks later, we have what is called buyer's remorse. Yes? How many of you are married? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) I mean, really. How many of you bought it? You know, that perfect pair of jeans. You know, I've been in the, the store trying to find jeans as my weight has gone up and down being sick and all that stuff. And trying to find clothes that fit. And I find a perfect pair of jeans. You know, you wash them and then what? Yeah, there you go. Why? Why are we doing that? Well, he's not talking about those things. Those are just examples. What he's saying is look at the effort we put into things that we want to satisfy us. And when things don't go our way, we are very dissatisfied and we're mad. We get angry. And guess who's the brunt of our anger? God Himself. Shoot, people that don't even believe in God blame God for everything. I don't believe in God, but how could He possibly let this hurricane happen and kill all these people? I don't believe in God, 
But how can He let all this injustice go on here with racism and poverty and all that? I don't believe in God, but how could He possibly do this and that and the other thing and blame Him for everything? And what Isaiah is saying, come. Come to worship. Come to worship. Because there, there you will find someone who sees. He sees. He knows. He understands. The secrets of our heart are revealed. You can keep everything in your life secret from me. I'm the easiest one to keep it secret from. You can keep things in your life secret from your spouse, from your children, from your boss. But I hope this unsettles you somewhat. God sees it all. He knows it all. He never turns His face away. He never holds His nose. He never backs away. In fact, on your worst day, when you're doing the worst thing you can imagine, and you're hoping to God He will just leave you alone so you can do it, guess what He's doing? He's moving in closer. How does that make you feel? Oh, dear Lord. One of the philosophers, I don't know which one, I can't remember now, I think it was Voltaire. Voltaire says, I hate God, and I hate God because... I don't like the idea, I don't even like the idea that there's somebody up there that sees everything and is looking at everything. I don't even like that idea. It makes me mad. And therefore, I don't believe in him. And my question is, Voltaire, is uh, why are you so mad about it? He's not there. What do you care? Why make a big deal about it? Why write books about it? Why have all this angst about it? Why lead millions of college students down some road of destruction with all of your brilliant atheism when you don't even believe? But folks, if there's a God in heaven, He does see. And the great thing about the Gospel, the great thing about the Bible, the great thing about Jesus is He sees the leprosy He sees the blindness. He sees the brokenness. He sees the filth and the dirt. And He moves in close. And He says, Come to Me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, take My yoke. My burden is light. Why would He say that? Because He knows. He knows He knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. He knows what the suffering of this life is like. And make no mistake that He doesn't know. He knows. And it reorients us. That's the second part. It reorients us to someone, or I'm sorry, it requires our response. Let's do this quickly because I want to get to the third point and give plenty of time for us to think about this together. In El Paso, in our Southwest culture, there's this amazing, um, uh, I I don't know what you call it. Do you all know what an RSVP is? Everybody know what an RSVP is? Respondez, s'il vous plaît. That's all the French I know, but the accent was good, right, Jeff? It was pretty good, yeah? Respondez, s'il vous plaît. And you say it with a lot of, right? Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Respond, please. Please respond. And in El Paso, people don't understand what that means. In the Southwest, people understand. 
You send RSVP, you send invitations out. I mean, we've talked about this. It's funny. When we lived in Florida for six years, you responded. But out here, people show up, they come, they bring their aunts, their uncles, their family, everybody comes. And you know, there's something beautiful and wonderful about that. But a response is required. When God asks you something, He's saying, you better respond to me. I'm inviting you to something. You respond. Now, you can respond. You can be upset and you can say, you know, I don't like what you're doing in my life. I'm unhappy with the way things are going. Who doesn't have that, right? But at least you respond. You don't ignore it. It's like getting that important. You send out an important email and you don't get any response. Do you all know what that feels like? Aren't they going to respond? I mean, what's going to happen? You know, or you send a text and you wait and you wait and you know it got, you know they're looking at it and they're going, eh. I don't know if I'll respond just yet. It's irritating. Well, imagine that you're God. You know, Jesus told a parable. He said, I sent, he, he, he said this beautiful parable. He says it was a wedding. The, the king puts on a wedding for his son. He sends invitations out and nobody responds. No respondez si vous play. They don't even bother. And he says, fine. You don't want to come? I'll go out into the highways and byways and I'll invite the hungry and the thirsty, the poor, the wretched, the people that will really appreciate the banquet. I'll go get them and I'll bring them in and I'll leave you out. It requires a response. Seek. Call on Him. Forsake your way. Return. This is, these are not suggestions. He's commanding that we respond. He's saying you've got to respond. You're in trouble. Respond. I'm calling you to worship. And there's an urgency behind it. While He may be found. While He is near. You know, there is a day coming. And I know that there are Christians that deny this. And then there are other Christians that's going to say it's tomorrow. And what we're going to tell you here at Christ the King is it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. And it doesn't matter if it's two million years. You respond with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. You love the Lord your God. You move in. You move close to Him. And you say, I don't care if it's tomorrow. I don't care if it's two million years. You've invited me and here I am. I've come. And you know what is so beautiful about the Gospel of Jesus? That's all He's asking of you is just show up and worship me. Trust me. I'll take care of you. I will not let you fail. And if you die, if they kill you, if disease takes you, if your life goes down the toilet, I'll bring you into my very presence. Into my arm. (laughs) What is there to fear? What is there to be afraid of? And listen, this is coming from a person that's a warrior and scared of everything. So I know what I'm talking about. Here's why he's calling you. That he may have, this is the, the, these verses 6 and 7, that little middle passage, that he may have compassion 
and abundantly pardon. You see, we've got a problem. He's, he's saying, you know, you, you've torn down that irreplaceable pillar that can never be replaced. You've broken that piece of art that can never be fixed. You went to that tree that I told you was a good tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil, not a bad tree, nothing wrong with the tree. But at its very bottom, folks, God is saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to know good. I don't want you to know evil. Do you see it? I know good and evil, God is saying. I know what good and evil are. I know how bad evil is. But I don't want you to know evil. I only want you to know good. So stay away from that tree. Because knowledge of good and evil is going to take you to a place you don't want to go, a place you don't want to be. A place called death. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. It will kill you. It will not nourish you. Right? So he's saying, don't do that. He sees. He's telling you, take a look. And something's got us. We all know that. This, this lady knows it, and she's not, I don't even know what her, I don't want to say she's not a Christian. I mean, maybe she is, but, you know, she's writing in a, in, a mag, in, a, in a newspaper that none of you would read. Republicans don't read this. What I'm saying is, she's got an insight. Something's wrong. There's self-absorption, self-pleasure. I'm gonna, it's going to make me happy to knock down this thing, to tear this thing, to ruin this thing, to destroy this thing. Because for some, in some crazy reason, taking that, R.C. Sproul used to say, that is the question of all eternity that we're going to ask. First question on our lips when we get into... And he, he, he says, first question we're going to ask God. When we get to heaven... Why did Adam and Eve take the fruit? Please tell me. And, the, and, and the, what's behind that is because we are actually thinking that oh, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you should laugh at that because that's pretty funny. Right? Oh, I wouldn't have done it. Why did they do it? They did it for the same reason we do it. Because we're not... Respondez, s'il vous plaît. We're not responding, if you please. We're doing it our own. We're going to do it our way. We're going to find our own way. And, and, and th- there's a hardness. And, and R.C.'s question is, why was that hardness there when God had made them without it? What the Westminster Catechism calls original righteousness. They had original righteousness. They had the ability. What Augustine said, possible not to sin. And yet they did it anyway. The mystery of the ages, according to one of the greatest theologians. And what he's calling us to, folks, is worship. And what he's asking from us is to respond, please. Come. Come, seek, call, forsake, return while there's time. After you die, there's no more time. Why? Because worship reorients. This is where I wanted us to get. And I'm going to spend a few minutes here, not long, but listen. 
Worship, this call to worship, reorients us outside of ourselves. When you take those few minutes in the, the, the morning, in uh, the journey we call it personal worship, you can call it devotions, whatever you want. Or maybe it's at noon, maybe it's in the evening. Whatever time it is where you pause and separate yourself for a few minutes, put away the phone, put away all the, the input, turn the radio off, and you go into God's presence and you say, Holy Father, Abba, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In fact, in Greek, the implication is we're asking Him to deliver us not just from evil in general, but from the evil one. Why? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory you see your worship. How long did that take? Fifteen seconds. I know, well, twenty if you go slow. Thirty seconds if you pay a little bit of attention to what you're saying. Is Jesus a genius? No? Somebody say yes, say amen. Yes, of course he's a genius. A 30-second prayer that covers everything. And if all you do is carve out those few minutes a day and just recite the Lord's Prayer, for goodness sakes. Wow. What a reorientation it is. Do you see what he's saying? It reorients us to someone outside, someone transcendent to us, so that we're not focused on one another and every little piccadillo, every little, I'm complaining and I have so many complaints and I don't like this one and I don't like that one and they didn't say hello to me and the coffee was too strong and the coffee was too weak. Do you hear? My thoughts are not like yours. My ways are not like yours. They're higher. As the rain comes down, the waters come down and bring forth sprouts and seed and bread. My word accomplishes. He's begging you. He's saying, look, reorient yourself. Why? Because I came down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the Word was flesh, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son of God. Wow! He came down. This amazing, sovereign grace of God that says, look, you're, my, I'm higher than you. I understand things you don't understand. I am weaving together lives and people and things in ways that you cannot imagine. And there is glory ahead that you can't even begin to imagine. Trust me. I've come down. The rain has come down. The water is watering the earth. My thoughts you, you may not understand, but you must trust me. Reorient. And folks, if all you have in the morning is your reflection in the mirror, how sad is that? 
if that's all there is, is that face looking back and you go, wow, there's nothing else? But if you peel away from there for a few minutes and you go there and see He came down and you start to think about what God has done in Christ for us, it will reorient your heart. In fact, I would say that you're going to have a hard time reorienting your heart without that. Does that make sense? Why? That's, that's the first part of 8 through 11. You see, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Look, I've come down. He comes down. Why? Look at 12 through 13. So you can go out. I came down. He's recalling what he's doing is recalling the Exodus story. That's what Isaiah 55 is. It's the Exodus story. And the people reading it were in slavery now, not in Egypt, but in Babylon. And the people in Babylon are reading this. This is hundreds of years after it happened, by the way. And they're reading it. And he's telling them, you will go out. There will be a new exodus. There will be another Moses. There will be another Joshua. There will be another redemption. There will be more miracles in the wilderness. You will see the bread of heaven coming down and feeding you like the manna. You will see water pouring out of a hard rock to feed your thirst and cleanse you of your sins. You'll see it. A new exodus is coming. You shall go out with joy. You shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth. And the trees will clap their hands instead of a thorn, the cypress, instead of the briar, a myrtle. It shall make the name of the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He's telling people in slavery, reorient your lives to this. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. Nothing else is going to feed your heart. And when we find dissatisfaction and anger and angst towards God, it's because we are not worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And worship is sometimes falling down. I have sometimes falling down at His feet and saying, How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long are You going to ignore my prayers? Are You up there? And worship can also be that day when that thing you've been praying for comes to pass and you're there rejoicing and singing and calling your friends and how did it happen today? I got another. Right? It can be all of that. But it has to be that. It has to be that. What is the name that he's talking about? What is the sign that he's talking about? And there you see it in verse 3. Go look back at verse 3, the end of verse 3 through 5. Look what he says. He puts this right in the middle, by the way. It's, it's pure genius. These people that wrote these things, these guys were amazing. Incline your ear, come to me, that my, yet your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him. He's talking about David, but 
Put a question mark next to that. I made him David, a witness to the people, a leader, a commander. Behold, you, now he's talking to David. You, David, shall call a nation you do not know, a nation that you did not know shall run to you. You hear what he's saying? Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, He has glorified you. You see, folks, to some extent, that may have been true of David. But not completely. Because why? Because the people reading this prophecy were in slavery. They were in Babylon. And later they're back at home, but they're in slavery again. Now it's Rome. And there's still no David. Still no king. Where's the king? And God says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now, listen. You know, Presbyterians don't get excited about much. But when I read this stuff, I get excited. I want to be a Pentecostal. I want to jump up and down. I want to raise my hand. I want to shout. I want to speak in other tongues. Whatever it is. Because I can't believe the authors of the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13 The New Testament. God raised Jesus from the dead. No more to return to corruption. And He has spoken of Him this way. He's talking about Jesus now. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. He quotes directly from Psalm 55 and from Psalm 16. He quotes and he says, I will not leave you in the grave. I will raise you from the dead. What makes Christianity so appealing? What makes it different than every other religion? What is it? that will get your life and put your life on a place that is unassailable, where it cannot be rocked by the, by the, the things that go around you in the world. What is that place? What is that thing? And I'll tell you, it's not a thing. It's not a doctrine. It's a person. It's David. David's son. David's perfect Son. The Son of God. And what's so attractive about Him, folks? What is this Isaiah 750 years before Jesus was even born? Isaiah said, you want to know what's so great? You want to know what's so great about Jesus? You really want to know? You want to know what's so great about Him? What's so mind-blowing about Him? What makes Christianity so different than anything else anybody else has ever suggested? You want to know? He came down. He came down. The miracle that we, we talk about it at Christmas, the miracle of Christmas is not that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that He came down at all. That He came down into this place 
this heartache, this brokenness, this kind of sin. Not to run away, but to go in deeper, closer. To never leave you, never forsake you, never turn His face away from you, never. You remember what this woman said? What's wrong with the world? And her definition was self-pleasure of one at the expense of many. Self-pleasure at one of one at the expense of many. And Christianity is screaming to the rest of the world and to us on Sunday morning when we come here to worship. Self-denial for the benefit of all who will trust Me. I will go into the grave for you. I will die. I'll hang on the cross for you. Will you trust Me? What's wrong with the world? Self-absorption. What, what makes this world right? Worshiping the One who denied Himself for you, for me. Have this mind among yourselves, listen, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count Equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But instead, He emptied Himself by taking on the form of what? A servant. Down. Being born in the likeness of men. Down. Being found in human form. Down. He humbled Himself. Down by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, all the way down. And here comes the call to worship. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right straight out of Isaiah 55. Will you trust Him? I don't know what you're going through, folks. I don't know. I don't know what your friends and family are going through. Ask them that question. What are you trusting to get you out of that? Will you trust Him? Let's pray. Father, help us, save us, have mercy on us. We beg You, please, strengthen us to do what is right in Your sight for the glory of Your kingdom. Give us the resources to trust You. To get out of that boat and walk on the water to the King who controls the chaos. Please, help us do that. I pray. Amen.